Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. Well, I would like to welcome you this day to the war room. This is a war room, and the term war room got its name from the military. The commanding officers from all the different battalions and all the different branches would come into this one room that they would call the war room, and they would make the decisions, and they would do the strategies, and they would, they would have the battlefield plans in front of them. And from that room, all of the orders would be given to the troops and the boots on the ground. And this war that we are in, it began many years ago. As a believer in Christ, you have been enlisted into God's service. And today, in this moment, make no mistake... We are at war. And the war I'm talking about is not from country to country. It's not even a civil war within one country. The war that I'm talking about today is for the very soul of this world. And it's a war not only for the soul of this world, but it's for your soul as well. You may not think that you're in a fight, but you are. All of us, whether we are believers in Christ or not, are put on this earth and we are at war. Whether we are at war with our own desires, whether we are at war with somebody else, or whether we are literally at war with other countries. But this war began in a lavish, beautiful garden. In the Garden of Eden, it began near a tree with a piece of fruit, with a warning, and an influencer that told Adam and Eve to disregard what God said. And here we have God's greatest creation in Adam and Eve. And we know that because of what we've heard in the Scriptures and what we've heard growing up in the church is that they gave in to sin. They chose to sin, and we are all part of the curse that follows. Yes, ground zero for this war started in the Garden of Eden. And from that moment, the world has been infected with this virus called sin. And Satan has been given permission by God to do his worst. That's what I hope people don't understand, is that God is still in control. But God has given Satan reign on this world that we live in now. That's why we have what we have in our community. That's why we have what we have in our nation, in our world. That's why we have wars. That's why we have violence. That's why we have everything. Is because Satan has given ground to move in this world. It's not fair, but God has a plan in this because nothing, Satan can do nothing that God does not allow. He is like a dog on a leash. And right now, God firmly has the reins. But before we jump into our main scripture of the temptation, please allow me to paint just a a clearer picture of the war by using God's word as the brush. You saw just a moment ago on the slide, you saw that cute little uh, cartoon of the devil. The devil is not cute. The devil is not horns in a pitchfork. What we see here in Ephesians chapter 2, or excuse me, Ephesians chapter 6 
verse 12, it says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. That's the key. Of the unseen world, against the mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Folks, there is no bullet or no bomb that man can build that can access this realm. This is only fought through the power of God. This is only fought through prayer. This is only fought through His Word. And in 1 Peter 5, 8, we see this. We see, he says, Stay alert and watch out for your great enemy, the devil. Yes, you have an enemy today. You have somebody that is working against you. The great enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. A roaring lion. He will do whatever he can to intimidate you. And then last but not least, if you've ever struggled with temptation, if you've tried to kick something and had a hard time kicking it, or if you've been kicking yourself for far too long, take heart. Even Paul, the apostle, writes in Romans chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, he says, you know what? I've discovered this principle true in my life. And this is what it is. He says that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God with all of my heart, but there is another power within me. This is at war with my mind. The power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. If anybody ever told you that becoming a Christian would take your drive for temptation, they lied to you. That is not the case. We still have this original sin in our life. We still carry the curse that Adam and Eve started so long ago. You don't believe me? If any of you have had children and the moment they began to walk, talk, and cry and everything else, if they have been perfect and you've never had to correct them, I wish you would just stand right now. Never corrected your child because they were perfect. Anybody, because if you do, I want to applaud you. Because not only Jesus, there's two perfect people that lived on the earth. But I see all the parents and the grandparents smiling because they know that although their child is an angel, sometimes they have little horns too, don't they? Sometimes, you know, you'll tell them not to do something and that's the one thing that they want to do. Because they are trying to test the limits. And then when they turn into teenagers, they don't want to listen to you anyway because they think you don't know a thing. And then when they get older, they're going to start coming back to you on wanting money and advice because they didn't listen the first time. That's because we all have the desire to do what is wrong. And even Paul had that desire. And so I hope you have seen yourself at in some point in one of these scriptures because all of us deal with temptation. And every one of us have sinned. Maybe even before even getting to church this morning, you may have sinned. Or maybe you had some thoughts you shouldn't have had. But we all fall short of God's glorious standard, don't we? Well, it's no surprise to you that uh, I like football season. Even as we speak right now, the Carolina Panthers are playing in London. In London. Who plays football at 9.30 in the morning? I don't want to hear the scores. I don't want to hear what's going on. Don't tell me afterwards who's winning. I'll find out on my own. I appreciate it. But I enjoy a good football game. 
And I saw no good football games yesterday. Not a one. I saw football games, but I wouldn't call them good. But the thing is, is that each week a team has a big game. Then after the game is over, they reset and get ready for the next week. And then one crucial part of preparing for a football game, the teams do even at the high school level, because I remember doing this, is a practice called watching films. And so what will happen is, is the coaches will trade films between the two teams so that you can watch the guy that you're going up against. You can see the plays. And I can remember when I was watching the videos, I was playing center. I was the guy that hiked the ball to the quarterback. And I would always be sure to look at the linebackers and the, and the guards and make sure where they're lined up and where my assignments would be. And you would try to find their, their tail or their weak spot and take advantage of that. But to prepare myself to compete against them, the trick was, though, they were looking at films and they were doing the same thing to me. And so, folks, what I want you to understand is, is the enemy knows your weaknesses. He knows your strategies. He's seen the film. And he knows what's going on in your mind and your heart. And today we are at war. The war is not fought with guns or tanks or missiles or fighter jets. The war we fight today is the one that is within. And the only defense that we have is Jesus Christ himself. There is no Democrat. There is no Republican. There is no elected official. And there is no armed service person, though they try as hard as they might, will be able to defeat this war other than Jesus Christ himself. Because what we're dealing with here is a spiritual battle, not a physical one. And so, let's jump into the scripture for this morning in Luke chapter 4. This is Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. And now, this happens right after Jesus has been baptized. And so, this is like the gauntlet for Jesus. This is a moment where he is tried and tested. And we will look at that in just a moment. Let's pray one more time. God, I can already sense already that the devil wants to work in this, Lord. But, Lord, you are stronger, Lord. So I pray your blood around this building. I pray a hedge of protection around these people. And I pray for open hearts that only your spirit can do. We welcome you in this place. And we ask you to be here. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. So the first thing that we see is that we are never exempt from temptation. We are never exempt from temptation. Take a look at Luke 4, verse 1. It says, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. Now, when it says, Then Jesus, this is, you see this long genealogy of so and so was the son of so and so was the son of so and so. You might not like to read all that stuff and skip right through it, but what this does is this gives legitimacy. It shows the family line of how Jesus came to where he is today and it's basically like your ancestry.com for jesus as it reads but you see that he had his baptism he was full of the holy spirit and then it says full of the holy spirit he returned from the jordan river and he was led by the spirit in the wilderness notice that jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness did you catch that That means that God orchestrated this temptation. The Holy Spirit led Jesus 
and Jesus endured that temptation. For God's redemption plan to work, the sinless Jesus had to be tried and had to be tempted in every way during this gauntlet of temptation. I don't know about y'all, but I'm sure if you're going to buy a car or, or help your child buy a car, the first car, you're going to at least try to kick the tires and check it out to make sure that that's going to be the best vehicle that your money can buy that is the safest vehicle that you can buy for your child. And I understand that because you want to test it, you want to try it and make sure it's ready. But for Jesus to be the perfect, sinless sacrifice, he had to be tested. Because I don't know about you, but if you show me something that's tested, I'll show you something I don't put a whole lot of faith in. Jesus was tested. And notice it says, wherever he leads, I will go. God's servants in Scripture were often tempted before they did great things for God. Now, we also see here, and and I hate to say it to you, but God doesn't always lead us through pleasant pastures. God doesn't always give us the beach and the coconut oil. Sometimes God takes us through the stink and the mire and the hills and the valleys. God doesn't always lead us in the pleasant pastures, and sometimes he leads us through trials to prepare us for what's going to happen in the future. One critical question you must ask when tempted is, is the result of something I have done or something God is trying to prepare me for, is the reason I'm going through this punishment for what I've done or something that God is trying to show me? And so we see here why Jesus And why here? Folks, Jesus had to live a human life for you to understand him. I can remember times where I would see an animal walking near a busy highway. And I don't want that animal to get hit. And so I I try so hard to tell that animal, get out of the way, you honk the horn. But, But sometimes they just don't listen. Why? Because I don't speak dog. Or I don't speak squirrel or deer or whatever it may be. If any of y'all speak that, let me know. Give me some lessons. But you you see a dog getting ready to walk into the the road, you want to go, and maybe he'll understand, right? No, it don't work like that. We don't speak dog. They get scared. They get spooked. Folks, that's why Jesus had to come to us is that if we were to see God in his fullness, we would surely die because of our unholiness and his holiness. He had to send Jesus so we could relate to God and understand him. The best way to get a dog to get out of the road would be to get another dog to lead him out of the road. And that's what Jesus has done for us. And Jesus had to be tested. The purpose of this And if you're looking at this passage as a way to trap Jesus and prove to Jesus, God knew that Jesus wasn't going to fold. God knew what Jesus was going to choose. The reason Jesus had to go through this is so you and I, when we read this passage, can see the tricks of the devil. Because by the end of this sermon, you're going to see the three tricks the devil has. He has three tricks and three tricks alone. He is a three-trick pony. But he just keeps spinning those over and over. I'm not taking anything away from him. But he's got some pretty simple tools that do a lot of damage. 
And so Jesus had to be tested. Jesus' victory over these temptations show that we can be victorious as well. The second thing that we see is that we are tempted to give into our physical desires. Here's the biggie. We are tempted to give in to our physical desires. Folks, I don't know if anybody's told you this or not, but I found it to be true in my life, is that Satan uses God-given physical desires against us. Satan uses God-given physical desires against us. We see in Luke 4, verses 2 through 4, it says, He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing. Now, have any of y'all went 40 days without eating something? Some of you are struggling to go four hours without eating something. Now the fact that I even said that, you're starting to get hungry. It's kind of like when the doctor says, look, I want you to come in uh, on this date, and I want you to fast for 12 hours before you come in so that we can get your blood work. So what do you do right before that? You've got your clocks synchronized. You've got your meal plan figured out. You've got your whatever you want to eat. You want to get that last thing in before you can't eat anything else. Well, we see here that it says that he was hungry. Why is that important? Why is it important to know that the Bible says that Jesus was hungry? You ever been hungry? Anybody? Absolutely. That was a physical desire that we have, is hunger. And there are many other physical desires that we have that God has given us for natural purposes that Satan is using unnaturally. And we'll see how. It says in verse 3, Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. Oh, man, are you serious? Telling a guy that's been eat, not eating for 40 days to go have you a big old piece of bread, that is just downright not fair, is it? It's not fair. Satan is not fair. 40 days. And the first thing Satan tempts him with is bread. He knew Jesus' weakness. He knows yours too. And then the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell the stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Folks, Satan targets your physical desires because he knows that those physical desires are what you need in the moments. Temptation lives in the moment. Consequences live in the forever. Temptations live in the moment. You want it, you need it, you got to have it. And then the consequences live forever. That's like, I know some of you parents, when you take your kids shopping, if you do take them shopping, what's the one aisle you cannot stand to go down? The cereal aisle and the toy aisle, because they're always beside each other. Everything, oh, that's got a prize in it, we need that. It doesn't matter, it's got five buckets of sugar in it. But as long as I can get that prize, and oh, by the way, let me have that, let me have that. It's just, man, I need to have that, I need it, I got it, I want it. It's all about the moment. Physical desire causes us to lose sight of the truth. And that's the problem today is that so many of us are living within the moment. We do what feels right. Temptation seeks to minimize the long-standing truth God has given. 
Giving into temptation is often followed by regret. Isn't it funny? The minute you give into a temptation, you're like, oh, I'm so stupid. Why did I do that? Because that is what temptation does. Some people will say, well, I'm okay. It won't hurt me. I'm okay. It doesn't affect me. I can stop anytime I want to. And there are other people that are doing far worse than I am. Or how about God loves me regardless of what I do, so I can keep on doing what I want to do. It says in Romans 125, this is a verse 4 of the day. It says, they traded the truth about God for a lie. They worshipped and served the things of God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. People have stopped worshiping God and they have begun to worship themselves and try to build scriptures to support it, which ain't happening. When we decide to live for ourselves and we decide to live for our own opinion of what truth is, we will descend into brutality and confusion and hopelessness. About 10 or 15 years ago, there was the push to get rid of absolute truth. Look at where we are now. Look at our world. Look at what truth is. What is true for somebody is not true for somebody else. But my friend, God's word has never changed. His truth is unchanging. And then we see here is that in the third thing, we see we are tempted to doubt God's love. In verses 5 through 8, it says, Then the devil took him up and revealed to him, All the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. He says, I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them. The devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone who I please. And I will give it all to you if you will simply worship me. Isn't it amazing that Satan says, God can't provide for you like I can? And I love you more than God does. That's what he's saying here. But Jesus replied, the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Folks, Satan wants you to think that this world is his to give. Satan wants you to think that this world is his to give. Let me ask you this. What can Satan create? Nothing. Satan has created nothing. But he takes what God has created and he twists it. And he turns it. And he uses our own temptations against us. Much like a buck going to the corn pile, hunters. We are set up because our physical desires. And we see here that notice the devil took him physically from a low point to the highest point he could go. The devil was making claims he could never make happen. And that's what he still does today. Yes, Satan is the prince of this world, but he can only do what God allows. The kingdom Satan offers is plentiful and beautiful, but it comes with a high price. Folks, do not be fooled. I I mentioned this a moment ago, and I'm coming back to it. Satan is not some little cartoon character you grew up looking at. And he's not even these evil, wild, crazy, ugly, demonic-looking things you see on the TV and in media. Let me show you what Satan is. Let me show you this verse. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. As a matter of fact, Paul says Satan disguises himself as an angel 
of light. I don't know about you, but any time I've been tempted to sin, that sin's looked pretty good. Satan was one of God's most beautiful angels, but it went to his head. Have you ever thought why we're even in this war? It's because Satan knows that he can't go toe-to-toe with God, so he goes after God's greatest possession, and that is you and me. The devil is our tempter. He is our accuser, and he is our deceiver. And Jesus reminds us that only God is worthy of worship, and all we ever need will come from his hands, his provision, his care, and his love. Well, the third trick we see is that we are tempted to be selfish. It says in verses 9 through 11, Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. But Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord of your God. I want you to notice Satan uses scripture to tempt Jesus. He's using it out of context, but he's using it. And when Jesus answers him, Jesus is answering with scripture His last answer there was actually a quote from Deuteronomy 6, 16. Folks, we must resist the temptation to control our lives. I I do not want you to get these two words mixed up. Do not get control and responsibility confused. Those are two different words. You should not control your life. And I can already hear in the back of my head somebody saying, are you serious? How about all these self-help guys that say you need to take control of your situation? You need to take control of your job. We have no control over this life. We are not our own gods. God is God and we are not. Period. But there is a difference. Do not get control and responsibility confused. We need to take responsibility for our lives. We choose what type of person we want to be. We choose how we are to respond when things happen to us. We choose to accept or reject Jesus. We choose to obey or disobey God's word. We choose to share our faith or keep it to ourselves. And these choices are the ones that no one can make for us. It is our responsibility to make those decisions. You see, Satan was tempting Jesus to take control of his situation. To live for himself rather than apart. Or to live apart from God rather than in service of him. What was Satan trying to do here, folks? It's not rocket science. He was trying to derail the cross. He was trying to do whatever he could in this infant part of the plan is to keep Jesus from going to the cross because he knew that on the cross is where his defeat would be. And uh, I hate to tell it to you this way, but if you think that you will or you can live your life your way and that your success and happiness will be built on what you have done you are going to have pockets full, closets full, and garages full of stuff, but your heart 
and soul will be empty. Jesus reminds us that God doesn't bow down to us. We are to bow down to him. And finally, we see, and I hate to say it this way, but it's the truth. Temptation never fully goes away. Verse 13 says, when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until when? Until the next opportunity. People say, oh, I have been tempted by Satan, and I have been delivered, and I am good. Until the next one rolls around. Temptation is not a one-time event, but it is actually an event-by-event decision of your will. Now, I know some fishermen are in here today, and fisherwomen. Do you call them fisherwomen? Fishermen and fishers of men and... Women fishermen, who have, I don't know the politically correct word. People that like to go fishing, how's that? We've got people in here that like to go fishing. We've established that before. And I understand that fishing is a sport to some and a passion for others. But I can think of no better way to illustrate the process of temptation than a good old fishing trip. The first temptation is getting the bait. The suggestion, the temptation that targets that physical desire, your doubt or your selfishness, just that one thought. Hmm. When you take that moment to think about that thing you shouldn't think about. And second is when you set the hook. Suggestions or thoughts become preoccupations or things that you do not want to let go of. The struggle between right and wrong Go through your mind and and you think about all the benefits of giving in and very little bit about the consequences. And then once the hook is set, you're reeled in. And once you bite and it is set, it reels you in and you are caught. Isn't it amazing that we know within seconds of giving in to a temptation that that was a bad idea? We think, how could we have ever let this happen? Well, my friend, Jesus shows there is hope for you even in the greatest of temptations. Yes, Jesus shows there is a hope for you, even in the greatest of temptations. I'm going to go ahead and tell you something. Jesus was tempted. Temptation is a part of the human life. If Jesus was not tempted, he would not understand what you go through. Temptation is not sin. You got that, right? Temptation is not sin, but it leads to it. It's like I like to tell people, temptation is the first look. Sin is the second look. (laughs) And the third look. And the fourth look. When you start getting it into your mind and start processing it and start thinking about that and start, I mean... (laughs) I've never talked to anybody, any couple that, that I've, I've talked with that said, you know what, it just kind of happened one day. We just decided we just didn't want to do this anymore, and, and we went our separate ways. No, there was always little things, little small things that kept growing and growing and growing and growing. I never met a teenager that said, well, I planned to be on drugs by the time I was 14. It started with a little bitty thing. I don't know anybody in any jail cell that said, you know what, My guidance counselor told me I would make a great prisoner for the rest of my life. We don't, that doesn't happen like that. 
But it starts with small temptations that give way to sin. And my friend, let me tell you what. Jesus knows your struggles because he had the same ones. Hebrews 4.15 says this. It says, This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, and he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. There's somebody here today that says, Preacher, you don't know what I've done. You know, I don't. Jesus does. Preacher, you don't know what kind of temptation I'm going through. I may not. But Jesus does. And then with Jesus, there is always a way out of temptation. I shared this verse, I believe, last week. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. My friend... As we finish up our sermon today, we're going to be heading into the Sermon on the Mount in the following weeks to see how Jesus just taught us how to live. But for today, understand that before Jesus did that famous Sermon on the Mount, he was baptized and he had to go through the gauntlet of the wilderness. And so, my friend, if you are in a wilderness today, Jesus has been there. He understands you. He wants to forgive you. And he wants to give you victory over that temptation that rocks your world. Maybe you've gone past temptation and gone to to all-out sin. That's okay. His blood covers that too. So the invitation today is just simply this. If you would like to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, And that way you will no longer be powerless against temptation. Please come forward in just a moment or see me sometime before you leave today. Don't leave this place without knowing that you are a believer. And then secondly, for a majority of you that are believers, quit flirting with temptation. It will get you. But if it does, Jesus will be there for you. Remember, These three tricks Satan spends every day. And you think that you're going to get away with it. But none of us do. Jesus loves you. But you come to him. You can come to the altar and pray. You can pray with me. Maybe you want to get baptized. Maybe you just want to be where you're at and just pray with the person beside you. Whatever your decision is, would you please stand? (laughs) 